Before we get started, if you love this episode, please write a review for Web3 Galaxy Brain. Thank you. Welcome to Web3 Galaxy Brain. My name is Nicholas. Each week, I sit down with some of the brightest people building Web3 to talk about what they're working on right now. Today, I'm joined by Gammy. Gammy is a crypto creator and the founder of NarsDAO, the skateboarding-centric nounish community. Gammy is one of a small number of practitioners in an emerging discipline that I call crypto production. Gammy led the creation of several on-chain happenings, including NarsDAO, a DAO dedicated to onboarding skaters to Web3, Forgeries, a nounish open edition and on-chain noun raffle, as well as an arts patronage DAO, an on-chain tontine, and much more. In this episode, Gammy and I discuss his creative practice and how he manages to be so prolific. We discuss his positive sum philosophy, his belief that crypto is a countercultural movement, and his collaborative working relationships with Ian Nash, Volky, and Light. It was great getting a chance to chat with Gammy, who's doing fascinating work summoning on-chain happenings with social media and the blockchain. His perspectives on leadership were particularly surprising and exciting. I learned a lot from Gammy in this call, and I hope you enjoy the show. As always, this show is provided as entertainment and does not constitute legal, financial, or tax advice, or any form of endorsement or suggestion. Crypto has risks, and you alone are responsible for doing your research and making your own decisions. Gammy, welcome. Good morning. How are you doing? Oh, it is morning for you, isn't it? <laughs> I'm doing well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just after 7 a.m. here. But I'm glad to hear you doing well. You're a hero. <laughs> but you said it wasn't <laughs> early for you. You said I, I checked that wasn't too early. <laughs> yeah, it's it's usually pretty pretty good for me in the mornings. It's just been a particularly big week, so I'm, I might be sounding a little bit rusty. <laughs> yeah, do you want to get a coffee in first? We can take a minute if you want to go. I've already some. already done all that. Been been for a walk. Got some sun rays deep into my retinas. I'm all good. <laughs> Wait, you, did, you gotta. What does the uh, Huberman say? You gotta walk and look at look at the sun. I like yeah, let in as many of those photons as you can. <laughs> I like this thing about. I I mean, I, a lot of it seems like. You, anyway, it's just suggestions, but I like the thing about walk like forward locomotion, like kind of wakes you up and it's sort of keeps you engaged. I'd heard of stuff about like 20 minutes of sun or whatever, but uh, I, I totally agree. You know, it's good to go for a walk in the morning. Don't do it enough. Yeah, it, it, it certainly is. But I've, I've heard some pretty weird um, alternatives to just getting outside. Like there's a guy who got dunked on pretty hard by crypto this week, Andrew Wilkinson. He's the, the I mean, he's CEO of Tiny, which is a uh, it's listed on Canadian Stock Exchange, and I think he was making fun of. Um, he said how how those uh, crypto punks working out, and then people referred to his share price, unfortunately. Oh, no. But um, <laughs> I, bet the, I bet the chart. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid the chart might look exactly the same. Ooh, I don't know that person or or the company, but yeah, well, he he has a weird morning routine where he has one of these like. There, it's a pair of glasses that emits like blue light straight into your eyeballs when you wake up. And he, he, I heard him on a podcast say that you know you don't even have to go outside. And it's like I don't I don't think that's a feature. That's a that's a yeah. bug. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I just people are listening. They may be listening to recording. I think of you like one of the pioneers in this business of on-chain production. You're, you're making happenings on-chain. You're making 
cultural events with crypto affordances. And I love this domain. I'm interested in it and I'm interested to talk to you about it. I feel like I, I actually thought you had a much bigger account, honestly, but I, I, not everybody knows you. But to me, you feel like a staple kind of uh, character creating projects in the space. So when did you go full time in crypto? First time was in 2017. So I'd sort of been lurking around a bunch of projects in 2016. I'd just gotten interested the same way that many people do with, um, you know, purchasing certain paraphernalia on, on a certain network. <laughs> and yeah, since, since 2017, just got involved through writing and, and helping out in different ways that I could as I was learning about the tech. So yeah, it's but it just seemed like a place been with full time since then. Yeah, it's like my, my background is in engineering and in distributed systems. So it's like there was a sort of serendipitous moment when I came across the Bitcoin white paper where it all sort of made sense to me maybe more quickly than it could have otherwise. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not like the most technical person though. I've always sort of lent more towards the marketing side of things and, and having ideas ideas and bringing the right people together. So it's, um, I think that was a big part of it is just like, I'd sort of experienced a lot of, you know, in real life, sort of network effects through different community things that I was involved with. And crypto was the first time that I experienced that, like in an online setting. So it was, yeah. It, it just it just sort of like amplified everything for me and that's where i saw the opportunity i think was more in the way that it brought people together online in a, in a much stronger way than what i'd experienced previously it's actually much it's i mean it's so compatible with that and it's also so underrated in the, the i mean a lot of people know but a lot of people don't know that the social element of bringing people together is more relevant in crypto even than any kind of traditional market where things are figured out and there's ways of doing things, just being able to get people to come together. And you've done it so many times. I mean, there's really too many projects for us to talk about today. It's not, it's not <laughs> going to be possible to get through everything that you've done uh, on Ethereum. Was there like a philosophical or ethical reason why you were interested in distributed systems in the first place? Yeah, there, there definitely was. Like a, lo a lot of sort of my cultural upbringing centers around skateboarding. And I'd grown up in really small rural towns, like literally in the Australian outback with 2,000 people and then, you know, moved to larger towns and then to the city and, and so on and so forth. But, but there, was, there was always like a deep interest in counterculture, whether it was at school, like finding better ways and easier ways to do things or if it was just like, directly related to, you know, what I was emulating as a young person who was very interested in skateboarding. And as someone who's just like innately curious, I would always dig deeper into anything that I was exposed to and try to understand, you know, how it came to be. And yeah, skateboarding has been through so many cycles where you know, it's it's something that impacts culture and so it affects sort of um, the people that take part in it um, are sort of exposed to these effects outside of 
the culture itself, um, you know, through corporatization and sort of culture vultures and all these sorts of things. And I just, I really loved the idea that crypto was your sort of way to opt out of the conventional way of doing things. And for me personally, that's like how I've lived my whole life um, is, yeah, opting out of the the status quo to try and forge my own path. And um, I think that sort of yeah, even relates back to, to childhood and sort of um, quite a messy family and all that sort of stuff. So it gets, it gets deeply personal for me, I think, and that's probably why I've been in, working in crypto for so long and then plan just to continue doing it for as long as I can imagine. You were saying something about how in the crypto environment, it was your ability to bring people together to do projects was more valued? Yeah, I'd, like I'd previously done quite a lot of online stuff before crypto, like you know, I had a um, I had a couple of businesses where I had a YouTube channel that did reasonably well, and I was selling certain products. And then I actually created a skateboarding community uh, here in Australia back in around 2011 that um, you know grew to around 5,000 uh, kids in a Facebook group. And I haven't had Facebook for years since, but. It's okay, it we'll was, let you off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I deleted that stuff as early as I could, to be honest. But um, once I sort of brought all these people together online, we, we started doing fundraising events and getting brands involved and basically just bringing kids together and their parents. And, you know, we'd have 500 people turn up to an event plus their parents, you know, and it, it was just... And what would happen it, in as, the this would pretty much just be like a skate jam. You know, it'd be just like, let's get a bunch of kids together and they can have fun and we'll give away prizes and have music and all that sort of stuff. And like, that sounds very connective, right? Like, it sounds like, wow, all these people came out of the woodwork and they came together. And it's like that IRL component is something that's very special. And, you know, a lot of people in quote unquote Web3 are trying to, you know, make that happen or whatever it is that they're working on now. But I find that it actually carries through into the online realm, you know, IRL through to URL. And it's it sustains over time. And whether it's because people have an economic connection or if it's just something because we're in such a niche industry where we've already got aligned ideal ideologies, I think there's just so many different aspects that sort of bring that sort of feeling that you have with an in-person event to the to the online arena. And um, I guess like to mention a project that I've started, you know, in the last couple of years, NARS or NARS <laughs> for the Americans listening. <laughs> it, it It's very much just an emulation of what I had created around sort of what would it be 11 or 12 years ago now. Um, it's just back then we didn't have the same tools and it's kind of in reverse. Now it's um, rather than feeling those feelings that we would in a, a, an in-person event and then that be what forges these relationships, I feel that in crypto I forge the relationships online first and then 
we don't even meet sometimes for like two years. So like some of my best friends in the space, I, I knew for like three, four years before we even saw each other in person. And or I just think never. I've never experienced that anywhere. Yeah, true. There's actually a whole bunch of people that I've never met in person and consider friends. And I think that's pretty weird. It is weird. <laughs> like but beforehand. I mean, you feel like you can know someone. I mean, I don't know. Are you missing? Is it creepy because you're missing so much information that they could be really not what they present themselves as over text only? But if you interact with someone all the time, I mean, for long stretches of time, it feels like you get to know them. And they could just, at that point, I mean, if they're, if they're a fraud, then they could just as easily be a fraud in real life pretending to be someone they're not. So can you, can you have just as close relationships and never meet? I don't know. I, I think that highlights maybe one of the points that I, I'm trying to tease out of my early morning brain <laughs> is <laughs> it, like everything is about context, right? So like in crypto, you know, I talk a lot about sort of like uh, prefixing everything with hyper at the moment. Um, people like me and Zero X Light and a few others are sort of pushing this movement and Part of that is just the fact that, like, in crypto, I feel this experience of hyper-contextualization, where it's, it's like you're already somewhat aligned with the people that have arrived in this certain space and time, and there are all these other criteria that have already been ticked off. And they're not just, like, people saying that they like something or pretending like you can verify that they literally bought something that aligns with the same values that that you might have so while you might not be able to know all that much about somebody you know a lot about them in that context and i think that's perhaps what you know sets up this environment for just making friends online and having fun on chain it's, that's a great way to look at it it's definitely weird because like really what we're saying is not actually a physical or virtual relationship, but instead all the context that the physical relationship has is the sort of the premise, the hidden premise in what makes in-person interactions different. And you're saying in a niche enough environment like NFT Twitter or something or NFT, I mean, not just Twitter, but I guess you tell me if that's not where you spend the most time, but that meeting these people in this context with this shared uh, context, you do know something about them. So you you have the practical part of what an in-person interaction gives you that's unique. You get a different form of it, but it serves the same kind of, I know something, I can I can make guesses about this person that are accurate because all the context we share. Yeah, I think, I think that's yeah, exactly what I was trying to lay down. Yeah, it's like there's there's certain things that you can, you know, deduce about someone in in real life, but not necessarily verify because, you know, what a weird environment to like rip out your phone while you're meeting someone in person and be like checking what you can learn about them. <laughs> Whereas, you know, online, especially in crypto, you can gather that context before you even make contact and it's already an innately social environment because like while it's very much 
an arena of like business transacting and all that sort of stuff. It's it's first a social environment. And I think like that's what's so fun about it to me is just that there is this like tendency for people not to take things too seriously. And then if you think about like all human interactions and if you're like a markets maxi or whatever, you can sort of say that everything in your life from the day to day is a transaction, right? Like you and I are having this conversation, we're transacting in words. Right now, every breath that I'm taking is a transaction. It's like, you know, and, and it's it's all momentary and fleeting. It's like this breath could be the last, you know. So there's there's just so much importance around context and how much time it saves you and how much it can bring the right people together. If you go back to our original sort of like touch on this point, I think it's just that crypto does speed run through a lot of things um, that, you know, bring people together. And it's the fact that it's based in like ideological reasoning is I think a huge part of why it's so interesting to all of us. But, you know, shout out to Satoshi for, you know, laying it down <laughs> <laughs> yeah like like you you know counterculture all the way like a lot of people forget about the genesis block and you know the protest statement and a lot of the sort of um easter eggs that he left laying around to or they or you know whoever it was does the nsa and, know who satoshi was i mean they must right Surely. <laughs> right? They have I, I like Intel like management it. engine. They know who everyone is. <laughs> yeah, it's it's scary to think. But I I'm I'm always been pretty convinced that it was that it was Hal Finney. But um could be wrong, you know. I haven't done enough. It's just research. a stab in the dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean there aren't so many people who you'd think could do that, but I have a friend who who said years and years ago uh that Satoshi is the greatest artist of the century. And yeah. Uh, it only gets truer every day. So what you're saying I is agree. that the the ideological context, connective tissue between people in crypto now and in the recent past is gives the context in which you can do happenings and that really you don't, although the blockchain gives you some form of permanence, you actually, it is actually more fleeting, temporally situated and transient and more of the stuff for making events. And actually history comes from events, not things that are overly concerned with maybe the raw technology-ness of blockchain, but instead using it as a kind of material for performing. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's like, I think I put a tweet out the other day. I can't remember exactly what it said, but it was, it was something around this idea of how you know we're we're moving through through space and time and historically we've had to make a lot of assumptions because like the ways that we recorded our history were also very fleeting and ephemeral just as the moments or the events that took place and so you know i watched this talk this ted talk recently which is from 2018 and you need to watch it it just like blows your mind it's called hyper reality by a South Korean artist. I can't remember his name. It's like a but, Vimeo video? 
Yeah, I think um, it might even be on YouTube. Like if you just if you just search hyper reality, it's like the first TED talk that comes up, maybe like number four in the search results. But he he basically he paints this example. So he's this guy who does hyper realism painting, and it, you know you you can barely distinguish it from a photo. It, it's just incredibly real. But people would say to him like why bother if it just looks like a photo? Like, why right. not just take a photo? And he said, well, because it's art and I'm trying to make you think. And he goes on to, to use these examples through history. So he, he brings up one in Vincent van Gogh where he says, nobody alive today has seen Vincent van Gogh. There were no such thing as uh, photographs back then. All we have is, you know, his self-portraits. And we know uh, from his writings and from his art that he was a troubled person. And perhaps that's nothing like what he looks like. But then he said at the same time, he goes, I could depict that person with a newer technology right now. And he shows this painting that he'd done of Vincent van Gogh based on a person that he hired as a model who fit the description of a Vincent van Gogh self-portrait. And he said, so we're living in this time already of hyper-reality where we don't really see the real thing for what it is anyway. And so if you look back through history, it was sort of depending on, you know, stories passed down through generations. And as we know, stories tend to change as they as they exchange one mind to the other. And the difference now is that what we're doing on chain by just minting things is potentially one of the most important things we could be doing with our time as creative people, artists, developers, thinkers, whoever, because we're doing it on a truth machine. And, you know, it's it's infallibly true, at least to the point that you can verify it. But if it's like, you know, when you're thinking about the way we're hurtling through time and space, uh, block space is actually a lot more significant <laughs> than one might realize because we're actually sort of like we're recording our stories and doing it in a way that's never been done in history before to provide a sort of clarity that we've never seen before. So it's it's just one, I, like it's one of these things that I just can't stop thinking about where it's like, you know, there's questions around like is is this whole like on-chain movement and minting just a fad? And I think it can't be because it's positive sum and human evolution is positive sum and it's just going to be one of those things that just continues to be. Uh, what you just said there reminds me so much of things Jacob from Zorro was saying in 2020, 2021, like with that uh, cryptomedia.wtf, uh, which were kind of really inspiring when I was starting to think more seriously about all this stuff. Yeah, it's 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 a history machine with a economic incentive to to keep the history. Exactly. It's like I'm heavily influenced by Jacob, so there's... <laughs> A lot of themes that that I speak about are, are definitely things that were seeded by his his ideas. He's also from Sydney, so 
We've only ever met once in person, but um, shout out Jacob because yeah, it's huge, huge influence to me and and many others. You know, like he's consistently right. Well, I mean, there's yes, but I do feel the need to say like, look, Zora made lots of technology that did not take off. Totally, and that's actually kind of the genius of it that. I'm really much more interested in teams and I'd love to ask you about the people you work with. I know you worked with Ian Nash and Emery from OX Chain Art. Yeah. What was it like working with them? And are, are those people you work with frequently or who are you working with frequently? That's a really good question because it, it changes all the time. It's like, it's as fleeting as the things we've discussed so far. So I guess like, to start historically in crypto, you know, I would just like work with whoever would have me. <laughs> and then that's the way to do and it. And then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I just annoy people enough until they gave me a job to do. Then I, you know, tried working with some contractors and that was a nightmare because, as we all know, crypto is full of scammers and been ripped off a bunch of times. You self funded. And then, yeah. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah, I've I've never taken outside capital before, so it's like <laughs> Yeah. And then yeah, more recently, like the the most sort of notable collaboration prior to my current one is with yeah, Ian Nash, who's an engineer at Zora. He's he's done a lot of amazing solidity work. Previous and, guest of the show also. Yeah. Yeah, and he's he's a fascinating person and just like Powerhouse. very inspiring. Powerhouse. Oh yeah. Big reason 100%. for Zora's success. Ian Nash, huge influential developer building so many things. Totally. And he'll like he'll just like spit out a really complex smart contract in like a couple of hours and you're like, What the hell? How did you do that? <laughs> but um yeah, that collaboration with Ian Experience is pro- <laughs> the answer is probably experience, actually. But yeah. yeah, I think it must be. <laughs> but um, yeah, Ian and then uh, Emre and Jordan, who who were both from ZeroXChain.art, and Emre is now working on something in the stablecoin arena called yeah. uh, Parabol yeah. Pi. So yeah, he's he's a great guy to talk to as well. But um, who who's the third Jordan, person? Jordan, yeah. Yeah, J- Jordan Punzalan, and I think is how you say his surname. We live in the same city. We'd never met before, and we met like six months after we did a project together. <laughs> but um, that was a, a project called Forgeries, which was inspired by uh, Mischief, who had a project of their own called Museum of Forgeries, where they bought a hand-sketched Picasso, and then they counterfeited or forged the uh, original and made 999 forgeries and then they mixed them all together so nobody knows which the real one is and sold them all for $200 each when one's worth like 20000 So we essentially did the same thing with a now and as an NFT. And the way the collaboration came about was similar to like the birth of nouns. I, I just like tweeted this idea and said, here's what I'm going to do. And I had no idea how I would do it, but I told everyone, here's what I'm going to do. And then 
within <laughs> within actually within 24 hours, I'd got a DM from Ian saying that um, he was interested in doing these smart contracts for this idea and that he'd already like slapped together a bit of a prototype. And then, yeah, like that, that was a huge moment for me because I'd been a big fan of him and his, and we'd only sort of like exchanged a few messages here and there. But um, then Emma and Jordan came in and the, the four of us put together this, you know, really great front end experience and we essentially sold um, forgeries of noun 401 and then one of the people who minted the forgeries uh, walked away with the real noun, which I paid around 95 ETH for. <laughs> how many forgeries were there? <laughs> or it was just like how, uh, open edition or timed edition, I guess? Yeah, it was an open edition. I didn't sell anywhere near enough because what happened oh, was... Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, it's just part of the story. Like, I don't even care, to be honest. Like, yeah. part of the, the history that I'm weaving on chain, I suppose. So This is forgeries.wtf um, for anyone who wants to check it out. Forgeries.wtf. That's right. And then the, the tech, you know, we'd built, which is essentially... Um, a drawing protocol for NFTs. So it's like, you know, you have a prize, which would be a high value NFT that goes into escrow. And then you're referencing like an NFT collection as essentially tickets. And then. So cool. A raffle contract. Exactly. Yeah. And it's using Chainlink VRF and, um, you know, it's built as a hyperstructure. So anyone who, uh, were to replicate what we did with forgeries, we'd be able to do it. And it, it the factory contract spits out the contract that you need for, for your own and it's it's sovereign and all that sort of stuff. So, so cool. off the back of the project, we spun out Omega.builds, which is essentially just the front end to the protocol. And it's free to use. You just need to have a bit of a link token to pay for your uh, on-chain randomness. And has anyone used this? Because this is a great resource, but I haven't heard of any project using it. <laughs> There's been a couple of people use it, like, you know, the artist Pixel Lord? I think I've um, seen that, yeah. Yeah, so he's, he's like a really cool Russian artist with all sorts of crazy digital and 3D and AI generated stuff. So he did a collaboration with uh, Nas, actually, where we did a... a um, open edition of his own rendition of my noun number 189 and then after the editions had sold he, he gave a one of one piece away to one of the collectors using the tool there's been a couple of others but i haven't really sort of pushed it too hard just yet ian has lots more ideas and potentially ways of like integrating it with zora and i think we'd like to see it on we'd like to move it on to a um, couple of layer twos once the chain link uh, services have caught up. So sure, be it'll be a, a lot great, cheaper and easier. Be a great module on Zora.co creator tools. Yeah, like my idea for it is like, you know, I'm, I'm not like a technically skilled artist, but I, I put out a lot of creative stuff, right? And a lot of the time, you know, you have an idea and you want to get like the minimum viable idea out there straight away. Like this is sort of, what someone like Jack Butcher talks about. Mm. 
And it's like, sometimes like a lot of people lack the courage to do that, but then they also lack like the incentive because it's like, well, I could spend all this time working on this piece and nobody even cares, right? So I had this idea like, well, why don't you just do a quick sketch and then sell that as an open edition and then raffle off the one of one to people who have minted the sketch. And so one person gets like the finished piece and everyone else gets like the, you know, the work in progress. And I think there's something there that would be interesting to play with. But I also think like there's just because of the way that Ian has like created the protocol, there's a lot of other sort of on-chain games that you could sort of experiment with because it's it's all dependent on, you know, these these Merkle uh, trees and which is you know essentially a list of addresses and so you could you could have as simple as what we did with forgeries or you could potentially build a squid game on chain you know what i mean like it's all about last man standing and that's why i called it omega because you know that's one of the meanings of the word omega is essentially the last one or uh, you know last man standing so yeah I haven't, haven't done too much else with that yet, but, you know, plenty of other distractions. So, <laughs> <laughs> Do you find you're already reusing things that you made in previous things? Like NARS was, was it even pre-nouns.build? It was quite a bit pre-nouns.build, yeah. wasn't it? So you, you, you forked nouns yourself. Or, I mean, with, yeah, with help. Was, but. Yeah, the original version was like, the original version was even before Lil Nouns, but, it wasn't a DAO. So basically it was a fork of nouns where I took away the treasury and just had the slider when you bid and you could either send, you know, a percentage to me or a percentage to charity. And so we donated through, like when I first launched the project, it was the slider said skate or DAO. And DAO actually was referring to endowment, um, which was the the uh, protocol That's I was using to donate money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It's like, but it was because it was also an experiment to determine if I should make it into a DAO. So it was like, <laughs> you know, there's... market testing <laughs> the DAO with the, with the presale. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I there's mean, like kinda... in in skating, there's like skate or die. So I was like skate or DAO. Oh, nice. And I was just paying attention to what people were doing, and like people were very generous towards me for creating this you know, riff on nouns where they were all holding skateboards and like doing the, uh, you know, sign of the horns, like the, the NARS logo. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it sort of, it took off reasonably quickly once I started a Discord and a few people gathered around and we're just like, hey, there's lots of skaters in crypto, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> and so, <laughs> and so it kind of had to become a DAO at that point. And so we donated the, eight and a half grand, I think it was, that had gone to the the DAO, the DAO portion of the slider. We donated that to the Skate Park Project from Tony Hawk Foundation. And we received a letter from Tony Hawk uh, signed and a special thank you, which was really cool because oh, I nice. think we were the first, yeah, like on-chain donation that they'd received. Endowment and is so cool for that. It really is. Like they take care of like all the rigmarole that you really don't want to have to bother with. and you just, yeah, you just use their smart contracts. It's really cool. 
but yeah, from from there we got to work on sort of yeah, rolling Nas as a you know, sort of an art project into a full blown DAO and I got a shout out to Volky, so Volky underscore ETH or no, just Volky ETH on Twitter because he's my current foremost collaborator. Um, he's done majority of the heavy lifting um, with Nas, uh, Nas HD, and then our potential migration over to the Zora network, which is um, being proposed at the moment. So shout out Volky. Wow. Uh, so Valky, where did you find Valky? <laughs> he was uh, floating around the Nouns ecosystem and Ben Body, who a lot of people know from the Noun Square and, and, and the founder of Alps Dow, which is a spin out of Nas. He, ben Body was the first person to rock up to Nas and we lived just a few hours away from each other Uh Another example of someone I didn't meet until like a year after we became friends in crypto. <laughs> and um, he introduced me to Volky and then Volky and I like clicked so much that like all this uh, demand for Volky <laughs> is outweighing his supply. So sorry, everybody, but um, I've been, been hogging him lately. So, <laughs> But yeah, we just vibe a lot on our values and and similar interests so we've been working together on a on a few different things lately that's sweet and you're able to kind of bounce around encounter there's there's other people who are looking for the same kind of project-based work that are down to collab, collab in that way yeah that's right and i think like the best way to find them is just to like not be precious about your ideas because like nobody's gonna steal your idea like (laughs) <laughs> you know that like there's a lot of people who have these grand ideas and they don't want to tell anyone about it and then they get to work on it and it's like just tell someone about it because you'll fi- you'll figure out pretty quickly if it's worth doing and you'll likely attract people that are um you know the right people to work on it with you and you're also going to attract a heap of spammers and scammers in your dms like trying to <laughs> offer you their services as well you're also not <laughs> only saying ask on Twitter. You're maybe also saying you could ask privately, but ask. Yeah. yeah te- tell, like, tell your idea. Tell your tell people your idea. It doesn't have to be on Twitter. But do you find it's useful to say the idea? I mean, uh, you said uh, forgeries came directly from a tweet? Yeah, it was purely a thread just to say, like, I, I think I, you know, was a little bit sensationalist with the tweet to get attention. But then once it got traction yeah <laughs> once it got traction and people would see all oh, the first tweets just attention grabber and then they read through the thread people were interested and <laughs> they get to the fifth tweet and they're like i'm blocking this person <laughs> <laughs> yeah that that happens to a lot of people so um yeah you got to be careful with with uh, how you go about threading <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm a bit off the threads these days like as soon as i see a uh, a spindle of um thread and a, a down pointing finger I sort of I, I wince at it but yeah. do you do mega <laughs> tweets or do you keep it under 280 <laughs> I've done a couple of mega tweets like I tweeted out my manifesto uh, hyper commons um, before I published that as an, an HTML NFT and then a, a, a website but um what's the gist of hyper commons yeah it's it's a manifesto for a positive some world so it's like 
Sorry, our conversation's so meandering. So apologies to anyone listening, but this is just how it rolls. No, no, I think I think they're gonna like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. So I'll go back to the source of hypercommons. So Jacob Horn wrote a an essay um, quite a while ago called Hyperstructures, where he describes essentially what Zora is and other things like Ethereum, where you release open source protocols and you make them free to use, but you monetize like at the fringes. So, you know, like Zora is a great example. They have all these protocols and tools you can use for free, but they provide a really seamless experience and you pay about a dollar to mint something as a user, which I think is brilliant, especially now with protocol rewards and being able to monetize free mints, etc. So it's sort of like, Feels, you know, creating... feels, feels pretty ethical. The only part I don't like is that the free mints part. They're not free. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you got to put the R in brackets. That's all. Oh, that's good. That solves it. <laughs> but I think it's a great model. I think it's a very ethical kind of business model, regardless of papering over the freeness thing. It's, yeah, I it's, think... It's nice. It's just a word. It's nice. Yeah, I think like... I think where, where they work really well is they make, you know, small pivots and... And they run like these minor experiments and then they can sort of make decisions on the fly pretty quickly. And people for, you know, the last sort of year have been a bit of pay a dollar or so when they mint stuff. But um, (laughs) back to the essay. (laughs) Please. (laughs) So uh, another friend of mine, um, Light, so on Twitter, he's 0xLHGT, so Light without the I. He essentially forked hyperstructures to write an essay called Hypercultures. And then I essentially forked hypercultures to write hypercommons. And hypercommons is just like a pure optimistic vision for the future. I subscribe pretty heavily to writers like Robert Wright, who who wrote um, Non-Zero, where he essentially argues the fact that through history just the the destiny of humans is a positive sum endeavor like throughout every sort of um, era of humanity we've had these examples of the positive sum prevailing so while we're in crypto where everyone talks about you know pvp and it's zero-sum game and only you know the strongest uh, uh, win and all this sort of stuff yeah, that's true in some of the really boring parts of crypto, but in the more expansive and interesting parts, like it, you know, it, it it's full of positive sum outcomes. So I was really interested in this, having experience at NounsDAO and and with uh, founding NarsDAO and doing a lot of stuff on on Zora and reading things like. Um, you know, uh, essays by Toby Shoren from Other Internet and just stuff from organizations like Funding the Commons. And I, I just got really inspired to sort of like imagine what the future would be like if positive sum prevails with the tools we have now, just like it has through every other era in history. And so it's like the easiest way to imagine the hyper commons is like, Right now, we go outside and we enjoy all these public goods, like 
I live in a beautiful city with clean air and parklands everywhere and some of the best beaches in the world. And it's all free, you know, aside from paying some tax. And I think it's completely worth paying tax to enjoy those things. But Hypercommons is like, it's it's not just public goods, it's public luxuries. So it's like instead of um, private luxury, it's more about public luxury and sharing in these amazing you know, experiences that we can have communally and these amazing resources. And I'm a big believer in sort of, you know, like when it comes to architecture, like I just recently bought an apartment. Rather than buying a large home, I thought it's much nicer to buy a small apartment and make use of existing buildings and repurpose this space to be very functional for the life that my partner and I want to live. And I think that, you know, that's a a very, um, you know, it's a meaningful way to look at how you live and and to to make the most of what's already existing instead of knocking down buildings and building, you know, McMansions everywhere. And then I like to spend the quality time, like, you know, of course, relaxing at home and enjoying our space, but I like to spend quality time in the things that our community does for us. So, you know, there's always live music and, you know, beautiful festivals and events and things happening around us every weekend. And I just love to get out and enjoy that and go to used bookstores and go and look at art and dig through record crates and talk to people and hit up a skate park. And I just really, really want people to get behind the idea of like choosing positive sum and rejecting the zero sum and just rejecting that idea completely because it's boring, <laughs> you know, it's, and, and historically through history, through our evolution, positive sum has always prevailed. And just one other point to sort of sort of like angle this back towards Nouns Dow is I noticed that 156 or whoever wrote the copy chose to use the word proliferate when it comes to what is essentially promote our brand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and in biology, proliferation is the splitting of a cell. And when a, a cell splits, it splits from the culture, which is, you know, the medium that it's, uh, that it's in. It, it splits into media and that new medium <laughs> is a subculture and that's how it's scientifically referred to. Mm. So I've always viewed nouns as a essentially a serendipity machine where what I think it should be outputting is, as Yancey Strickler uh, would put it, uh, a, a meta-label machine. So it should be outputting meta-labels, which are essentially just groups of people who have a shared interest producing things together and releasing them and sharing in the spoils. So that's very positive sum thinking and that's probably a big part of why I was sucked into Nouns Dow. <laughs> you say subculture. I've always rejected this idea of like a sub DAO. I feel like it's just a DAO. It's 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 its own legitimate, but I guess you're saying just sub in the sense of like a historical provenance in a genetic sense or something, a, a biological sense. Subculture is 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 the word used. Yeah, yeah, purely like referencing that sort of like biological sense. And then like, I think I've pushed those ideas before and then maybe 
Dao has been like overused. And then uh, more recently been trying to say to people, no, we it shouldn't be called subdows. They should be called extensions or nouns plus <laughs> or something that's positive sum because, yeah, sub, subtract, negative, minus sign. <laughs> yeah, or, or, Sounds... or submit. I mean, I think a lot of the logic of the financial, the logic of taxation that dominates revenue models mm. is one where it's subordinate or I always read it as subordinate Dow. Yeah. And submissive. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and essentially that you're going to pay some kind of tax, but it's interesting because I, I got, I got a bit, the creeps from th that word early, early on. I was in shark Dow or, or, or when early on mainnet yep. yet early in the life of a subculture, depending on where it's source of locomotion is coming from or it's gravity center of gravity is you maybe do want to signal no no we're like really a part of this community we're not extractive we're additive to the nouns community for example not trying to make something yeah that is insists on being independent from day one yeah that's that's actually that's actually like a really interesting point to bring up regarding nars so like i'll say an american accent again nars <laughs> <laughs> Originally, I was like being encouraged by some nouners that, you know, I was sharing this draft idea of, you know, I wanted to get some funding to help make NARS a thing. And the idea behind NARS is that they shred the nouns. So it's like taking nouns and embedding them into street culture and it's through action sports like skateboarding, because, you know, that's essentially what we already do is we go and we through performance art we express ourselves on the uh on the objects that surround us and we've done that you know like we have giant noggles that are permanently placed in a town square in Prusa 15 in in Rio de Janeiro Brazil and skaters every day go there and spread the nouns <laughs> so it's like there's there's this this element there that was always from the the beginning. I had a lot of pushback where people were like, "Why would you call it Nas? Like it should be called Nali Nouns or Nouns Athletes." And so I originally called it kind of Nouns Athletes, and then just like deleted that account. <laughs> 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 and I said, "It's Nas." Like you guys have to realize, like that is proliferation. the The idea is that. It's positive sum. You shouldn't be taxing creators. You chose CC0 licensing. You chose open source. And that's the point. If you go on something like GitHub, what's the biggest button on the page? It's the fork button, usually. <laughs> it's at least the most prominent or the first button anyway. And it's, and it's in that right-hand segment in the top uh, right quadrant. And that's known through you know, pattern studies and everything in online you know, interactions to be where people look first. So, the you know, it's it's the point. But you're, you, <laughs> That's the you point maybe, of nouns. You were maybe the first project to deviate aesthetic. I mean, you do have a noun-like auction, but and uh, aesthetics of the NFTs are noun-like, but the branding is also very independent. And that you must have been one of the first ones because we've you know, that's been an issue for a long time. And and NARS NARS yeah. is quite early in the history of nouns funding projects. Yeah, definitely. It was it was proposal fifty one, so it was like um, wow. I think it was yeah pretty early, and I joined Nouns at 
now in 189. So I'd, I'd been like lurking since the beginning. I just hadn't scurried together the funds yet and there hadn't been a skateboard head yet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I really? said the first skateboard head that pops up is mine and then, of course, the day it pops up, I get a DM from 4156 essentially saying, you're up. So <laughs> 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 help me, help me to the promise. But um, I'm glad that I did it. Yeah, the, the look, I think branding independence is really important because like I I originally um, shared this idea when I was developing the brand for Nas. If if you if you see Nas in the audience at the moment, you know I've got my laptop uh, listening <laughs> as well. But um, the logo is literally eight pixels, <laughs> um, and you know much like nouns are very lo-fi. I wanted to do the same thing because I want. Nas to be a canvas for other people to express themselves on, just like skateboarding, you know. A skateboard is a mimetic icon, just like the nouns glasses, but it's a much more advanced mimetic icon, which has far more utility, but that only came about through collective creation of skaters expressing themselves through different foot movements and placements to be able to achieve thousands of different tricks. Shout out Rodney Mullen for creating like a good couple of hundred of those so there's like there's <laughs> there's this brand identity that I think from the very beginning should be its own if you're working on something nounish it shouldn't be called you know gnarly nouns it should be called nas right so I was very adamant at the start and then I I formed this idea of what I called trademark instead of trademark so it's it's weird to me that like trademark the tm you know you see top corner on a trademarked brand it's weird to me that that's self-referential like like it, it it's just like you put this thing there and it's just like yep i'm referring to myself and it's a brand it's official <laughs> yeah you know i, you know, I, I pay like, for it to be a brand yeah, yeah exactly it's like it's kind of like if something is a brand it's not really up to you it's up to people that adopt it and care about it and care enough about it to tell people about it. And then when you look at something like Zora, they've they've just used the Zorb and it's now their entire brand identity, you know, was very different before. You know, Zora was originally called Saint Fame and it was a t-shirt project, right? And then there's like it's it's evolved and and Jacob and the other founders like Tyson and D and that have sort of left it to the community to form the brand. And I think that's really important with these kinds of experiments. And so the what I put out into the world uh, to suggest as an alternative to trademarking was shademarking. So use your own brand, but top right where you would normally have a TM, you know, reject to zero sum, no, no trademarking. But just put a tiny little set of noggles where the uh, TM would normally be, and that's your shade mark. And then instead of it being self-referential, it's uh, it's actually the the origin. Uh, it's referencing the origin of you know where you your, your brand came from. So whether you were funded by Nouns or you use Nouns assets, it's just a nice way to hat tip the the culture. And you know some people have caught on to that and used it, but. <laughs> not very many. Sometimes yeah, my ideas a bit silly. If I understand what you're saying, like a shade mark, I mean, you could imagine someone putting some kind of like Kanye reference like that on their brand just to be like, this is, I'm trying to be in that lineage. 
Yeah, totally. Like it's a subtle badge of origin because like when you read the like literal definition of a trademark, it essentially reads as self-referential badge of origin, which just doesn't make sense. Like that's, <laughs> it's like some, it's paradoxical, right? It's like, it's kind of cool. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is in a way. <laughs> but in the context of something where it's, you know, CC0 and you're borrowing from other assets and stuff, it's actually kind of like beneficial to make reference to nouns, for example, in some small way, but just not, you know, don't call yourself gnarly nouns. Right, right, right. <laughs> you're just limiting your potential, right? Like, and it just sounds whack. Like, don't think anyone... <laughs> I don't think anyone should sort of like limit themselves to be, like you said before, you know, a sub-DAO, submissive, you know, subordinate, subversion, subordinate. Yeah, they're, they're all negative. Some words you should be more positive. How do you think about making projects that are open-ended and yet not how do you how do you design the projects so that they can have these open-ended community elements without taking on too much long-term burden to animate all of these communities that you're involved in starting it's a good question <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the ones where you take a moment to think and people think that you're uh you've you've uh, dropped off the call <laughs> but but uh i mean like some of them some of them are not open-ended like forgeries for example it has a closure yeah yeah so w the way that i look at these sorts of let's let's just call them problems because like it, it is a problem depending on the context of the idea that you've had i tend to just sort of resign myself to the fact that everything is a remix and that you should borrow from everything around you and sort of subscribe a little bit to like the the Virgil Abloh concept of you know three percent change and it's yours. So I think that's like the prime sort of like design philosophy for something in crypto because everything is already so abstract and like can be really overly technical and it's easier just to sort of like make a slight adaptation of something else. And we see that in NFTs, like, in a big way, right? Like, everything is referencing something else. Like, even though Bored Apes and Yuga Labs were, you know, a, such a huge success, like, it's literally just a copy of, like, other stuff before it, right? It's like, it's, it's just the space and time and the people involved and whatever meant a different outcome to, to others. And so I, I think, like, in terms of that open-endedness, it's, it's very much like getting rid of any semblance of ego and talking about everyone else from the beginning because like I've remained pseudonymous and I'm not leaning on my <clears throat> previous success in the skateboarding community realm. I'm not even tapping into that original community. Well, not yet because I didn't want to sort of like lean on what reputation I already have because it's not about me. You know, like I, I can go around and flash people like a magazine cover I've been on, but I'm not going to. There are a couple of people I've shown because we've become close. But with Nas, for example, like it was it was never to be about me. So I think there's 
that's probably the secret sauce. Like, do you, do you find, to, I just find that so many projects are ultimately animated by one motivated person or sometimes two or three, but often it's very few people who are really behind whole organizations. And, or like I think about maybe not even organizations necessarily, but things like the way Tim Shell animated the loot verse uh, last year, two years ago, whatever mm. it was. Like one person deciding is kind of what made that happen. And the, the this illuminator role, it doesn't necessarily confer responsibility. So I'm not trying to imply that everything you do, you should feel responsible for long term or anything like that. But it does seem like it's a kind of has to be a factor somehow in how you're designing. I guess I guess you're saying you don't make it about you. The projects have their own momentum. Yeah, the, it's it's really interesting that you bring up Tim because um, we've actually collabed on something as well. Oh, cool. What? <laughs> I don't even know this one. <laughs> at ETH Denver, the most recent one, I wasn't able to be there. We, Nasdaq put on the Gnarly Smoke Lounge, which was Brett from the community um, essentially proposed to get some funding and <laughs> t- take over the Cannabis Lounge that's just down the road from where the conference was. Proposed to who? And uh, <laughs> uh, to Nas, and we funded you know the, the event and basically... Tim Shell got involved by doing an exhibit of his project Chain Space, where I think you you may be familiar with it. it. It was a Bitcoin Ordinals project where he'd essentially deployed a web app onto a Satoshi. It would open your webcam and then like render you in ASCII characters. And so he made a NAS uh, version of that where you know the the sign of the horns emoji skateboards and noggles made up the image and he he actually collabed with Ian Nash to create a device to put it onto an old like 1960s television this beautiful vintage piece like it's amazing it looks like glass and just incredible like the casing of it and everything and this beautiful um dark um olive green color and he wheeled that into the venue and put it on display and you can imagine like people smoking cannabis and like looking at this art Damn. that's interactive. It, it, it would have been a great experience. Unfortunately, I wasn't there. But um, Sounds amazing. Ian, Ian has a background <laughs> in like hardware electronics was his original passion, I think. Sure does, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. So yeah, anything like Arduino and Raspberry Pi base, like just hitting it up, that's for sure. And and that that's sort of like my engineering background originally too was... You know, in those distributed systems, I was mostly doing like low-level serial communications stuff for, for different data systems, electrical systems. But um, did you like anyway, that? Full it's so circle. Di- it's so different from what you do now. <laughs> did you like it? Yeah, I, I loved it. But it's it's not actually that different. You know, it's like like conceptually, it, it's quite similar. Like we're we're still just transmitting like these sort of like data packets that different board rates and, you know, <laughs> d- different bandwidths and um, <laughs> those those different data packets are different resolutions and it's all energy and, you know, we're all part of this sort of like mycelium network. Like I, I can get pretty, pretty um, you know, ex- expensive on some of those thoughts, but it's, yeah, it, it, everything just sort of comes back to that connective tissue that we were discussing at the start of our conversation and you know to even though I meander so much I do want to come back to the, to the point um, with <laughs> with designing 
projects certain ways. And I think like Tim Shell is a great example of that. Like he is someone who has a million ideas and he puts, you know, tens of things out at any given time. And there are things that are, you know, set up for, you know, a one-soft purpose. There are things that are designed to live on for potentially forever. And there are things that are ephemeral for, you know, a, a certain output or a certain purpose or an event or whatever it might be. And I think there's like when when you're designing around an idea and, and what, what its its life cycle or lifespan should be, I, I really always go back to that uh, video that Derek Sivers, I think, voiced over called Dancing Guy, I think it is. And it, it's basically this video of a guy at a music festival. It's from like 2009 on YouTube, if you look it up. And it's called Lessons from Dancing Guy by Derek Sivers. So, oh, I, I think everyone <laughs> knows the Dancing Guy video, right? Like the guy who starts the dance on like a hill at an outdoor festival. On the hill. Yeah. Yeah, so Derek Sivers, he he basically laid commentary over this video and it's it's lessons in leadership. And the idea is that it's you as the founder just need to be the crazy nut who attracts his first follower or attracts their first follower. And then the first follower becomes the leader. And that's why I think it's really important to think about like how we word things and how we instantiate memes and and I don't mean like memes as in just the format of like memes of as we think of them today but yeah the more you know Dawkins, uh, Dawkins yeah so and and I think that's really where my passion lies like I I love to seed sort of ideas and inspire somebody else and then let them run with it and be able to look back like a year later and be like, oh, I, I, I was the first person to say that thing, you know, and often I'll like, if I come up with a new word, I meant it like, like droposal, like the droposals are now a big thing in nouns mm -hmm. and in other DAOs where in, it's a proposal that drops an NFT. And that was just a word I came up with after a proposal I saw that uh, Jacob did and I was, I was like, ah, cool word, I'm going to mint it. And now it's like on the front ends of all these different clients and there's a, there's a new nouns client being built that I think will be at like drops.wtf or something like that by uh, Yitong from Agora. And it, it's it's a droposal platform. And it's like, that's so cool that yeah. like, I, I just yeah got to mint something and now it's like, it's part of the ca crypto canon, you know, it's like people use it as a legitimate word and I, I love that. It's that that's the thing I enjoy most when you mint it I'm curious how you mint it various different ways so like often I'll like you know web to get grab a domain because I'm a domain hoarder <laughs> then I'll look for the ENS and dot then, com or, or you're, you're, you'll go off-road off-road <laughs> anywhere if dot com's available i'll take it but i'll take like various variations just in case ideas pop up later that ENS? i could use it for ens definitely yeah gotta get it <laughs> and then which I, I can't believe i wasn't a huge ens hoarder because like the amount of domains i have is ridiculous but <laughs> too, too bad <laughs> 
Yeah, like actually, I have one really great domain, which is Toshi's. So T O S H dot I S. And the email address is S at Toshi's. So it's the wow, Toshi's. Oh, nice. Spells it all out. <laughs> I, I, I've thought about doing ones like that. Like I was going to get a Nicholas that was like C H O L dot A S or something like that. Oh, yeah. There, there is a dot A S T L D. So yeah, that'd be sick. It's kind of cool, but it's kind of like, is it too weird? Maybe I'll do it before the I post the recorded version. <laughs> I think it just, it looks great. It's really like not optimized for audio. Like actually, right, that's exactly. one piece of advice to crypto people and one that's kind of like not exercised very well with Nas because of my accent. But come up with names that you don't have to spell out on a podcast. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I say that, but I've violated that with my uh, Twitter handle. Um, it's very painful to communicate to someone, but it's a trade-off for it being very easy to search for. That's so true. Like you, it's just N N N. But I always just assumed that your name was Nicholas. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I've done. I've I've committed a cardinal sin. Jesus, the second time I say cardinal sin in the past couple of weeks on the show, <laughs> I'm not obsessed with cardinal sins. However, I did sin when I changed my name on Farcaster, it's just Nicholas because I was able to grab it. And I hate when people <laughs> have same. different names. Oh, I hate it so much. I did the same. I went from 0x Igami to Gami. We, we went back and <laughs> on forth on Farcaster. this because I think the I in your name is invisible. It's I never read yeah. it until you pointed at it. <laughs> do, do you want to know the reason that, it, that it's got the I? It's, it's origami, right? Yeah, it was originally... A art project I was doing called Zero Exigami, as in origami, which was meant to be origami unfolding on Ethereum. So oh. it was just a portmanteau of you know Zero X address and a uh, an there, origami. But yeah, <laughs> there is a difference in your work. I feel like it, I, I took a brief look at that project, and it's uh, aesthetically very different from your work after encountering nouns. It, it, did something happen? Yeah, I, I um, became hyper fixated on nouns. <laughs> <laughs> but even I, I, yeah. maybe I didn't make it all the way to the website for that. But it did. It, did it have the same like Nars has a lot of I imagine your aesthetics in it. Uh, the the parts that are not nouns like yeah. Did something change in yeah. your practice about executing front end or branding? Yeah, I think like yeah, it did it did it, and it was because of a realization that I had with what's genius about nouns in terms of the CCO realm is the fact that like lower fidelity artwork is easier to remix. And so you get like far more people involved and like testament to that is Jack Butcher, right? With first with, with checks and now with Opepin, like mm. he provides very simple constraints that anyone can participate in. And all of a sudden you're an artist. Right. So it's like, I think it was a very, um, it was a purposeful choice at the time. Cause like I've made quite a lot of work previously. Like I'd, I'd done a generative on chain, like actual fully on chain, not, not what we refer to as on chain now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I did something called embryonic, which was, if you go to embryonic.me, I think was the, I just have to check the, the, Yes. web address yeah embryonic taught me it, it's just like a smart contract that generates a, an svg 
thing that looks kind of like a cross between a Zorb and an embryo. Yeah, these are um, great. When, when did you drop this? Uh, it was 2021, 2020. I can't remember. It, was, it wasn't like super early. Like I'd done some other NFT stuff before that. I did a project. Um, you're so prolific. I, I don't understand how you're so prolific. <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, just obsessive and like, you know, like I have like, Chronic neck pain from yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like doing part. too many things. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm starting to get better at like balancing my life out. But but you're basically yeah, spending did, did, all of your time you, at all times. It sounds like you must be producing, like working towards a creative output. Do you, it sounds yes. like you, you, I just yeah. thinking calculating it. It doesn't seem possible that you're spending a lot of time like researching without a purpose. Yeah, exactly, man. Like I um. You know, like I, it, it's almost to a fault. Like, it's just you know really lucky that my my partner that she is like also very <laughs> prolific creative. Like she gets oh, okay. it. She's like, holy shit, yeah, that's cool. Like, you know, she she's written like well over a hundred songs, and I've heard most of them played live. And wow, she's incredible. But is it in the water? Or what, what is it about? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know, <laughs> but th- it's just pe- people around me are the, are the same. Like her sister is like a quite well-known musician in Australia, but has fewer songs than has than my partner. But my partner doesn't release any music because she's very private. And then like like my my brother-in-law is live sound engineer for like all the biggest names in Australian music. So I'm just so sort of like surrounded by a lot of creative people. So I think. That rubs off on me a lot. And Does it make you want to be creative, to do creative work when you wake up in the morning? Yeah, like it's it's like the first thing I do is like I, I do something that's an output. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people wake up and read social media where I like, I, I don't even open Twitter. I just open Typefully, which is like, you know, tool for writing tweets. You could schedule it or you could like, Oh, nice. Tweeted straight away or whatever, but it it helps you avoid reading any tweets. I love that. I love <laughs> and that. so, <laughs> yeah, I, I just get up and I walk and like if I have an idea, I just I just put I it in there it. straight away. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. I, and, I for many years I wanted to make, and I actually did the, one of the first things I ever did when I learned JavaScript was write a pers- what I thought of as a personal Twitter, which is just like oh. the joy of the the Twitter compose, but just for you. I love that. Yeah, and I, I, in the end, I, it ended up looking more like a chat, but like just with one player, but oh, searchable. Dude. You know, isn't isn't that great? I love that because I'm I'm all about like information diet and distilling things down to like right now. I'm thinking like on the home page, you you should like release that JavaScript as a Chrome extension because there's already on Twitter for you. Well, there should be just for you as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking they should do. I mean, Elon never listens, but they should do just fully private tweets. I would just use Twitter for that. It would become my, and it would be so sticky as a user interaction. And if it just became a journaling, totally. journaling experience. The other one, I'm curious what you think. Is I wish I do you use Twemex on Twitter? No, I haven't even heard of it. I'm it, excited oh, to hear what it is. It's a little obscure. T W E M E X. Yep. And it's uh it, it basically just gives you the Twitter search, advanced search with on the right side of the the Twitter window, it will be completely replaced with a, a new column 
that is Twitter search. And at, when you go to anybody's page, it'll automatically bring up like their most liked or recent interesting tweets. And if you search, it will search only within their tweets. And it has... Oh, that's great. You can do other kind of things to like, you know, tweets where this person mentioned me or you can do advanced kind of things. But really, it's just like amazing search at your fingertips, like on everybody's page. And it, it customizes to the page you're looking at, whoever's profile you're looking at right now. I love that. But what I want is, I feel like I just meet so many interesting people. I want a CRM for this. Like, I just want to be able to like take a note on like some interaction we had or, you know, something so that I remember because I just meeting so many people on Twitter, especially it's like impossible to remember everybody. Uh, to just add a little dude. note and then have those be searchable in the same way. You just search, you know, who is this person? Or it just shows up. Like WeChat. I'm, when you, uh, have you ever used WeChat? Yeah. Yeah. You know how they have like when you... Yeah. I'm obsessed with when you add a person, you can choose either a business contact who doesn't get your feed of posts or like a friend contact. And then you can add a little note to the person. And it's like, that's great. That's perfect. How It's so simple. <laughs> and it just makes perfect sense, right? It's like... It's like what you're doing in your head anyway. Exactly. Right? So, or what you have to reverse yeah, engineer from Yeah, I'm a big believer in that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and also the DM experience on Twitter is just garbage. <laughs> it's like, it's like just embed Telegram in there if you can, please. <laughs> like, At least Telegram we have works. search now. Yeah. We didn't used to have search over messages. So I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> I don't complain anymore. We have encrypted uh, DMs now too, I, I, I noticed. Which we, is... uh, I think that's vaporware. I haven't seen that. I don't know. Is it real yet? <laughs> I, I, can start, I, don't think so. I can start a message now. Like I, I'm, I'm going to send you a, an encrypted message now. Oh, sick. Okay, great. But I don't know if it's actually nope. encrypted. <laughs> But if anything, so it'll only be on the app on my phone, I guess. I'll get it. Yeah, it's only on the phone and it says early, it says early access messages are encrypted. Learn more. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, Sweet. I think every, they should all be that way. Yeah, I sent you my um, my home address. So, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's just a GM. It's just a GM. <laughs> That's where you live, though. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, I know we went a little long. Do you mind if we talk for a few more minutes or do you have to run? Oh, good. Heaps of time. It's it's Saturday, so. <laughs> okay, great. I have like a few other things I wanted to ask you about. Sure. I'm looking at all the things I want to ask you. I'm going to find the most interesting thing here. Poap.eth says that reserved issuance creates a free rider problem. What do you think about reserved issuance? And is it a useful lever for building communities in this nouns model? Reserved issuance as in... Um, like, like the like Nounders 10%, for, for example. For example, yeah. Or Zora in Builder or, you know, it's used in yeah. many Nounish DAOs. I think... Do you like, do you, do you find it a useful lever? Maybe that's a, a politically clean way to answer the question. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I don't have a problem with it. Like, not, in NAS, I don't get it. Like, instead, it goes to a multi-sig that's used for onboarding shredders. So, like... Okay. People who are new to Web3, we, we give them one for free and get them involved as long as, you know, they're able to shred. <laughs> but I do get a, a bid tip, which is up to the bidder. They select, you know, by default, it's set to 10%, but they can move the slider. So I think I, I'm, I'm not actually like that um, sold on some of the problems like tragedy of the commons and free rider problems. Like... I think that, you know, there's 
there are quite a lot of studies out there that sort of argue against those problems. And look, no assumptions. Like I'm not going to, you know, off the top of my head sort of like spin up any sort of really strong opinions because I'd need data in front of me first. But I would say that like in the nouns example, there needs to be some incentive for them to care because it's it's a trustless protocol that would run if they weren't around no matter what. But they put in all the work to start the project and right. it's good that some of them stick around and they're not equally getting, uh, you know, 1% each. They decide how to distribute it amongst the 10 nounders over time anyway because, you know, someone like Dom who is very busy with SUP and other projects and is a very prolific coder and creator, you know, he's not going to, it's, it's, it's obvious that he wouldn't have been as involved in nouns, right? Like he came in and did a lot of the smart contract work for the uh, encoding of the art on chain, you know, it's essentially like an SVG printer, what, what, what he did. So the, there's like, it's it's a tough question, especially with because of the environment of nouns at the moment too, with like the impending fork and like I'm I'm pretty sure I feel like Patricio would be forking away because of sort of like the sentiment I've seen that he has around nouns. So so I would I would sort of my question would be, is the statement impacted by apathy? And is it is it just you know, is it emotionally driven in any way and or is there, you know, data that backs up that statement? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, won't, I, won't, I, I could summarize what he told me, but I, I won't try and argue his point. But maybe actually what I'm more interested in is like, you're even with like Nouns HD, for example, where you released an open edition that I guess funded the illustration of all of the Nouns assets. Yep. Uh, with a hand like hand illustration, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but you did, but you you I guess paid out of pocket in advance for the illustration, or someone partnered and uh, for a share of the proceeds or something. Yeah, that's correct. So about about what about the same amount that the protocol rewards were, I paid Illustradora Dotith from from Brazil. She did all the hand drawn art, and I involved a couple of other people from the NAS community to help bring it to life. And so, yeah, I paid up front and then recovered the cost and made a very small profit on top of that. So I think... You had to take a pretty big risk because you didn't know how many would mint. Yeah. I, yeah, it took a sizable risk. Yeah, like, you know, $15,000 or something like that. <laughs> but it was like... In uh, the reason I'm asking is because it's like... <laughs> It's yeah, and the art looks great. And if people go to the NarsDAO site, you can see the the art. You can flip to the Nouns HD mode, and they look great. Frankly, I think I might like them better. At least looking <laughs> at them right now, they're they're a lot of fun. Yeah, well, that's how it came about too. Is that I originally had the idea to reward the Nars community with an extra free NFT. That was just this idea of like, what if we flicked a switch? Like, what would the thirty two pixels look like in four thousand pixels? Uh, 4,000 by 4,000, 4K, you know? So I was like, that was the idea. And then Dora had created all the assets for that. And then I said, oh, 
it's now anniversary. Why don't we also uh, do a, a, another rendition where, you know, the bodies are not wearing T-shirts like the Nas do and instead it's like the original nouns and we could release a collection on um, Zora and Bass as part of on-chain on summer. So there's like 222,000 on Zora and on Bass. The Bass one hasn't minted out yet, but it's at around 50%. And so there's sort of like these distinct collections. There's like Nouns HD, um, you know, Free Mint that was to proliferate Nouns to Layer 2s and and now there's like 13,500 new people owning an, a Nounish asset that didn't before that we can interact with later. I've, you know, been doing some airdrops, going to do some prop house rounds and stuff like that where they get to vote and they can have a, a taste of like what on-chain governance is. And then NAS HD is just purely a thank you to the community that has um, so much for me because <laughs> all the amazing things that have been output by NAS, I didn't do. Like I've just set the environment for those things to happen, created that serendipity machine. How? <laughs> Comes back to that video a little bit, you know, like I just sort of like, get out and wave my hands around, do some dance moves until somebody else copies me. <laughs> like, I, I, I know that's a really abstract definition. But, no, but I mean, I, I but, think there yeah. are some things that, okay, so that, that piece is amazing and, and sort of the most awe-inspiring piece. But there, I think the actually the, the maybe more practical steps are actually the piece that eludes people and stops them from doing things similar. This kind of what, what I'm thinking of as crypto producer. That's my... Yeah, title for it. Uh, and it's like a music producer, but for things that happen on-chain. Could call it an on-chain producer. I'm saying crypto producer because I'm sort of still uncomfortable with the word on-chain evolution. But yeah. I love it. Yeah. And I was saying on-chain, I was complaining on Twitter about, uh, you know, on-chain shouldn't have a hyphen in 2020 or 2021 or whatever. Like, I'm on board for that that piece of it. But <laughs> the, just the, I don't know. However, I think ultimately I'm already like a week or two weeks into being annoyed about uh, quote unquote on-chain summer just at a ta taxonomical <laughs> level. I'm, you know, I, I, I've given up. I, there's no point in fighting. It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it, it's better when it means on-chain culture rather than on-chain technically. Yeah. It will dominate because it's yeah, a no, like, it just means more. I totally vibe with what you're saying because like my original attraction to NFTs was the fully on-chain technical art right. side of things. And that's how I found Nouns too, was through, through MRA's website, actually, through zeroxchain.art. Great website. <laughs> yeah, it is. I don't, I don't know how well maintained it is nowadays because they're busy with other things, but if anyone's interested in contributing, I know it's all open source. Yeah, super cool. Yeah, yeah, it's culturally, it's a little challenging, but things are evolving and it does feel like we're really turning a corner in terms of mass adoption, just given the cost reduction and some UX improvements that really, I think, make make it a 100x easier to get involved in crypto. Yeah, definitely. I think like the, I think like a really strong meme at the moment is that on-chain is the new online right. and, you know, off-chain is the new off offline. <laughs> Yeah, there's, I think like the, to reference light, so if you go to like mirror.xyz forward slash lght.eth, you know, friend and one of my favorite artists and writers, he's been 
exploring a lot of stuff around, you know, what we're what he originally called the hyper stack, which is, you know, hyperstructures, hypercultures, hypercommons. And yeah, like I describe myself as hyperpunk these days, because like it's a you know, a hark back to cypherpunk, which is what inspired me to enter crypto in the first place, that counterculture and rejecting the zero sum. And there's it, it really just highlights the point that like crypto is a cultural movement, right? Like first and foremost, like yeah. its birth was countercultural and its success will be countercultural. Like there's a lot of talk about like we need institutions, we need ETFs, we need this, we need that. It's like, no, no, no. We need courage. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's it's a courageous endeavor like any cultural movement. And and that like the I don't want to like uh shill my own tweets too much, but I, I brought up this tweet that I wanted to reference earlier. And- it's only cheesy because it's a tweet. If it was a book, you wouldn't be giving a ca- caveat <laughs> before. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sorry, it's a post on X. It, it was something we should be uh hacking. Oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. Great. Oh man. I don't know how I feel about that yet either. <laughs> but um I what I wrote was that history has been a tapestry of events woven with threads of time and space. Enter the era of hyper events. Block space immortalizes moments in both dimensions. And then I going to say that I'm starting a meta label to produce the hyperpunk handbook so we can all make sense of our hyper reality. So, you know, just to to sort of, you know, belabor your point around culture, we're in a hypercultural moment. It's it, it, it's taking off every which way, yeah, at every possible time. And that there is like you know, you've you've just got to look on the fringes of crypto. Like the worst thing about crypto is how bad most of the, you know, larger media groups within crypto are because they're who the mainstream media look to for story ideas. But it's people like yourself and uh, groups like Forefront and, you know, podcasters like Chase Chapman and just all these incredible people like UFO.fm, Nick Collins, you know, there's people who are on those bleeding edges telling those stories of culture, uh, the people doing the greatest work to help push the space forward. Because if you're creating art, writing code, you know, creating films, doing anything that's a creative output, you're creating culture. Like that's, that's what culture is. And I think, unfortunately, because there are a lot of, like I'll use Australia as an example, no offence to any Australians listening, but the NFT scene here, it's about two years behind where it should be, right? Like everyone, a lot of people are still like, oh, what's the next mint? Like, let's get in on this collection. And it's like, they don't know that you're supposed to sell generative <laughs> collections as if they were open editions now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's the 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 best place to play is like just behind some of these crazy nuts that are 
going out on the hill and dancing alone and trying to attract that first follower. And I'm not saying that that means that I should have more followers. <laughs> Although you should. You should but. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I just cracked 6,000, which no, is honestly, like less crazy is more. for a new account. Less is more. Yeah. Even, I mean, I've always thought that just in terms of who cares about appealing to a large group of people who don't really have anything to do with you and also any inflated follower counts are rampant on every platform. But also even numerically, there was a tweet recently about how you, I forget who it was who said it, but you just get shown to the, the people who are not interested. The algorithm, like I, I interpret it as the algorithm is so piss poor that it doesn't thematically direct your tweets to the people who will like them amongst your followers. It just has a kind of rough sense of people who have recently interacted with you and are should be exposed to the tweet. And so there's no, it doesn't feel like there's enough segmenting. So if you have a huge audience, even if yeah. you have a great tweet, it's possible that it doesn't take off because, and I noticed this also with saying the same thing over and over again, that, you know, like sometimes just the third or fourth time you say something, it doesn't even, maybe even an error in the tweet. And that's the one that people flock to. <laughs> I think it has a lot to do with the velocity around interactions that is a bit just a consequence of how the Twitter algorithm is sort of lame at choosing who the first people are to show. Yeah, dude, like I, I personally hate the whole concept of being fed an algorithm. Like it's literally the matrix, like plugging this spike into the back of your neck and like being fed this, you know, false reality. Like I truly believe that because I grew up, you know, I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. Like I grew up in the, era of the internet where it was the innately curious people had a fantastic time, right? It was like every day you would discover like three new websites and then you would like write them on a pad of paper. Taken... <laughs> exactly. And then you would be like, you go to your friends and you're like, hey man, I made some copies. Here's some new websites to check out, right? And it was like mixtapes with music. Like I want to be, I want to be receiving um, thoughtfully curated lists from people that I admire. And that's why, like, on Twitter, like, for you tab sucks. Like, following tab, great. Lists, even better. Because, like, on a particular day, I might feel more about music than I do about visual art or nouns or NARS or skateboarding. And I'll just only have my Twitter tab on that particular theme on that list for that day and not even bother with the rest. And then I use tools like Mailbrew to just feed myself, you know, a distilled version of the the media that I'm consuming. And like, it's like, why FOMO? You're not going to miss out on too much. Like you're better off spending your time curating instead of like just consuming this like fire hose of mostly garbage. Yeah, like, it does feel like when, whenever people come <laughs> back from a break, they're always like, what did I miss? And the answer is inevitably nothing new, nothing serious. Like, <laughs> but at the yeah. same time, I, I, I do love the algorithm or the, I want an algorithm because there's so much out there that I can't one-to-one -one follow everybody. You know, like I want to see the best of what's out there, not just what happened right as I was looking. I like, I like to have access to that too. But I think frankly, I want like, you know, there's such amazing things people are saying on Twitter and on all these other networks that are popping up. What you say makes me think yeah. of Farcaster. I don't know if you're a fan. Yeah, I'm on Farcaster. I, like, there are there are things I like about it and things I don't. But um, I think like the the point that I'd like to make is like not um, 
fully against algorithms, but I'm definitely much more interested in personalized algorithms. Yeah. And I think like that's what platforms like Twitter should really focus more on, especially now with AI being where it is, is like for you should be for you, but it's not. It's for the advertisers, yeah. right? Like because that's the incentive model of the platform that's advertising funding. It'll be interesting so, to see if the system prompt user experience from ChatGPT starts bleeding into other things and you do get some kind of opportunity to inform the algorithm what you want to see like with text. That would be very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I would love that. Like that, you know, there are obviously loads of ways that you impact your experience on a platform like Twitter or X. <laughs> but the, the 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 results haven't been great yet. Yeah. On that personal level. Like you're right that sometimes yeah, you discover new things thanks to to algorithms, but I, I don't want to. I don't want to lose that feeling that you get from curation because, like me personally, one of my favorite things about who I am is that I always have something to talk about when there's a dinner party. Right? Like I'm. I'm not a motor mouth. I'm a listener. Like I love to have really, you know, well balanced conversations. So we go to a dinner party and. I'm usually pretty anxious in that kind of situation, right? Like to be completely honest, but my coping mechanism is to make sure that everyone's comfortable. So the way that I do that is I, I have an a, a ability to multi-thread when, when it comes to conversations. So I, I can listen to various things at once and I can, and I can converse while listening. So that's my unique ability that perhaps helps me do some of the things I do. You're, that's your ability in Professor but, X's uh, academy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mutant, <laughs> mutant gummy. <laughs> so there's, yeah, there's this element of of that situation that I I really enjoy. Like I get a huge kick out of this, and it's like, hey, did you guys hear about this thing? Right? Like it's it's curating the conversation through the innate curiosity that led me to that point. And it's, it like makes your own experience better. It enlightens other people. It makes them, uh, you know, have a better experience at that dinner or that party or that meetup or whatever. And I just find like, it just harkens back to the nostalgia of making a mixtape for a girl you like, you know, like it's, it's romantic. It's like, like friendships are romantic. Like, I, and I don't mean you know in an in intimate sense, but I, I mean that there is a certain level of intimacy that you can only achieve with your friends through curatorial experience because you're sharing the world with one another. You're bringing these moments in time and space into another time and space. It's it's almost like these you know crossover realities and. Stepping through portals, you know, like I don't mean to get too woo-woo, but it's um, <laughs> but that's that's how I connect with people. Like I, I love, I love that Taking feeling. An interest and, in, and in that's how, them, but also making a convivial context. Totally, and like this is how simple it is for why I feel so strongly about this. 
Now, if you think about like any person you've ever met that you have gone on a date with and you wanted to see again, like you, nine times out of ten, you share some music, right? Because it it's it's revealing something about yourself without having to say too much, and it's saying something to that other person without having to say the words yourself. Mm. And in my life, I've had I've had great partners through my life and now I've finally found the right partner for me. And despite the other ones not working out, they were right at the time and they were great and I had great experiences and it always revolved around curating something for one another, Mm. whether it was a choice of a restaurant or try this cocktail or, hey, check out this playlist I put together on Spotify. And it it brings love. <laughs> it's that simple, man. It's like that's how you find love is you curate for one another. That's my that's my belief. This anyway. kind of considerate curation. Yeah. Yeah. It's um I don't have like a special word portmanteau that I've come you up with. You gotta write a damn blog post about it. You gotta mint it. I mean <laughs> if you're not gonna mint it, what's the point? <laughs> have I got the ENS? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's um it's that's all part of it, I think. So yeah, there was a question that kind of got lost in the shuffle, which was, so we get that, that you got to be the first one dancing, but you don't need to be the one to do everything. Piece of 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 leading the creation of a of of a happening, but or even a community. But the question I wanted to jump into a little more deeply is, I think there are sort of practical decisions that you're making that stop other people from proceeding. Like, oh, but what about? this concern or that concern and not knowing how to narrow options or take a leap of faith with some practical question. Mm. And I feel like that doesn't seem to bother you as much or you have some technique for um, navigating the fog of not war, but creation. Yeah, definitely. That That's, that's definitely something I take a lot of pride in is like this hypersensitivity that I sort of described before at a, um, you know, it's it's almost like spatial awareness that I'm very tuned in with um, in in a, you know a real life setting, but also I can manifest that online. Is that empathy, and it's definitely empathy, and it is it's compassion, and more practically speaking, it's um it's it's being selfless enough to do the work and learn, and then speak what you learned in the language that it needs to be heard in basically it's like it's like don't speak down on anyone don't speak down to anyone it's you know distill information in a way that's digestible for whatever you know forum you're in and respect it's and and it's it's being very aware of like what other people are good at or what they might struggle with and just genuinely help them and then it makes it much easier to reason with people because you know you show that you've done the work and you and through compassion and and empathy you there's there's some love there you know it's an act of service (laughs) it's um totally yeah yeah and i get a kick out of it like it's it's and and when there is a disagreement and we need to reason like 
I, I, I don't get emotional about any of that stuff because, like, I'm not too attached to anything mm. because I know that things change and perhaps that goes back to childhood through the very transient and, you know, quite challenging childhood I had that I wouldn't wish on anyone. That resilience is something that you learn. And and it, I think once you've learned that kind of resilience, you can't help but put that kind of love out into the, the world and the people around you. And that sounds very airy-fairy, but it's like that's the practicality of it is yeah it's it's um it's about showing up and and doing the work i listened to jesse from base on cena's podcast into the bite code yesterday and jesse describes personal philosophy uh when prompted to to do so and it resonates a lot uh, he also mentions it's worth hearing firsthand but he also mentions in describing what he says he doesn't engage in negative talk with people. He's not going to be critical or negative about things and he just won't. And if people bring that energy to him, he is just appreciative that they care enough to say something and not, uh, t- doesn't get into it. <laughs> I mean, it's easy to say on a podcast. I, 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 don't, I, don't know, I don't know him personally and I'm sure everybody has bad days. So it's not, not possible to imagine that you're just going to treat everyone nicely all the time. But it does sound like there's some resonance with that, like uh, just what kind of energy you reproduce in your interactions. You're not defensively trying to hold on to power in something, and so you don't need to get emotional about someone suggesting an idea that's, that's maybe threatening of what your idea was. Yeah, totally. I have like a really good real example, by right. the way. So within NAS, I had this idea where I was like, what would Shred to Earn look like? You know, and, and I don't mean like a Ponzi-nomic token <laughs> where you walk and get tokens, yeah. right? I mean, like, <laughs> I, get, I mean, like, how could you earn badges or verifying things you can do? Like, this proof of work, but proof of skate. So it's like, could you have an app on your phone where machine learning can recognize what trick you did, and then like you've got it on video and it's verified and 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 it mints and you earn a badge that says you can do a kickflip, right? And I thought like that that's a really compelling way to gamify and Tony Hawkify or <laughs> make the real world THPS, you know, Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Love it. <laughs> and you know, I got I started investigating the idea and I'm like, you know what? The tech isn't quite there yet for me to go down this route. Like I, I don't have the capital for that kind of thing, and I'm not interested in fundraising. I don't want to give equity. I want to just do collective creation. So I start talking about the idea of this, and it sort of evolves. And then I get talking to Will and a few of the guys from uh, forget the name of the Indicate? original. There's there's a guy called Will and. Um, he goes by Rocket Man on Twitter. I forget the name of their actual like company, but they had this other uh, product, and they since pivoted to create a platform called That's Gnarly, which is at that'snar.ly. And basically, it's like Top Shot, NBA Top Shot, but for amateur extreme athletes. So basically, we onboard people from Instagram. Uh, they connect up 
they have an account in a couple of steps and then, you know, they post their tricks. They go onto the platform just as posts. Then the NARS community upvote what they like and, you know, whatever is sort of like hot and trending becomes the daily drop as an open edition. A small portion goes back to the NARS treasury and the rest goes to the creator or uh, or there are other causes that you can opt into, you know, different charity organizations, foundations and whatnot, such as Bob Burnquist's uh, Skate Creator. I'm pretty sure I pronounced that wrong. <laughs> but um, this platform was not it, it was inspired by original ideas that I'd put out and I worked closely with Will and the team as they produced this platform and a protocol behind it called Revolution Protocol, which is now powering platforms for other projects like Shredding Sassies, who are a snow sports uh, project. And there's That's Nownish, which is like to help creators within the Nownish ecosystem to be rewarded for you know, art and different things that they produce. And it's led to a whole swag of things. Surf Guru, there's there's a whole bunch of different communities running on this um, platform now. And it, it's completely different to what I had originally thought, but it adapted from an original idea. And I'm really glad it did because, like, these guys are working on it full time. And Yeah, it's very professional. There's I've heaps always felt of that people. About this project. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It, and, the, and the guys are a very capable team who just ship new features every week. And we're in a bear market where it's like super hard to get people interested. And still they've, they've onboarded like hundreds of um, skateboarders, uh, snowboarders, surfers, all sorts of people. I think we've got some numbers up on the website here. So yeah, 337 creators, have come onto the platform. Over 5,000 people have supported the movement through minting and raised around $15,500 for, for, the, for the revolution. So there's, um, you know, it's, it's just an example of getting out of the way, just sort of um, inspiring others with your ideas and realising that it's pos- positive sum because this platform feeds back mm-hmm revenue to NAS and it promotes the brand and, and the mission. So it's very cool. There's a real example. It's very, <laughs> and, and it deviated and, and yet it, do you think it's better than if you had f- pushed for your idea or if you had pushed, it just wouldn't have even happened? I, I think that like it's taking care of like all the minimum viable product and cold start problem. Right. <laughs> so that, Say someone releases a library for visual recognition of skateboarding tricks, well, it's going to be quite easy to produce an app <laughs> to start rewarding people for basically turning real-life skateboarding into a video game. And I would love to see that happen at some point in the future. And I don't care if I have a vested interest in it or not. I just want to see it happen. <laughs> so cool. It's um, just fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> this stuff's fun, man. We're just having fun on chain, you know. That's that's right. Like it's not driven really by a strategic it. interest. It's driven by let's have fun and, and make these mash these things up. It's very authentic. Yeah, let serendipity take care of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's kind of like um the, there's a new 
proposal from NARS coming to NAUNS. I think it'll be published as a candidate proposal on Tuesday your time. No, Monday your time. And, um, yeah, came to realise that NARS is also a great acronym for explaining the NARS hypercycle, as, as I like to put it. And it's basically goodwill. <laughs> I'm, I'm stumping on it as I tell you. <laughs> Um, it's so I'll just bring it up in front of me. So it's goodwill for the G, mm-hmm. uh, network for N, then you got advocacy, releases, serendipity. And so the idea is that you put out goodwill into the world, like uh, refurbished skate parks, like we've done around various uh, locations like Brazil. And that, you know, increases your network because it exposes. The, the movement to more people through that goodwill and then gives you the opportunity to onboard those people and that creates advocacy for the movement. And then together we collectively create and release, you know, all sorts of things like uh, video parts for skateboarders and artwork and merchandise. And we've done, a, uh, we've done music. We've got an EP with Lil Bubble, famous crypto rapper. <laughs> And then, you know, the last part is serendipity and that's sort of the whole point of, you know, putting that goodwill out into the world is that it brings in this environment of serendipity where new doors can open and all of a sudden the goodwill that we put out might adapt because this is a, you know, a virtuous feedback cycle. And I'm excited about us potentially migrating to Zora Network to reduce our operating costs by, you know, 95%, align ourselves very strongly with the artist movement because skaters and other action sports participants are performing artists. And um, I just, yeah, look forward to us being able to do more of what we do at a lower operating cost so we can, you know, save our uh, contributors and people who contribute to our treasury, we can save them some gas. Because when you have fully on-chain NFTs, <laughs> it's quite expensive to settle auctions and stuff on mainnet. So, yeah. Incredible. Gammy, uh, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for sharing and a lot of personal stories as well. This is really great. No problem. It's an absolute pleasure. And I love doing stuff like this. And once the link for the recording is out, I'll be adding it to uh, gami.wtf, which is my personal site. <laughs> awesome. The, the mark of quality. Uh, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who came through to listen live. Next week, I'll be talking with Vivian Fung of uh, Snowball, uh, which is a new wallet login technology that's pretty exciting. So if you're interested in this, uh, come come back uh, same time next week, next Friday. Gammy, thanks again. Thanks everyone for listening. See you next week. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Web3 Galaxy Brain. To keep up with everything Web3, follow me on Twitter at Nicholas with four leading ends. You can find links to the topics discussed on today's episode in the show notes. Podcast feed links are available at web3galaxybrain.com. Web3 Galaxy Brain airs live most Friday afternoons at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2200 UTC on Twitter Spaces. I look forward to seeing you there.